do it. I'm waiting for the stripe. There's the stripe. Okay. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Chef AJ Live. I'm your host, Chef AJ, and this is where I introduce you to amazing people like you who are doing great things in the world that I think you should know about. Today's guest needs no introduction. He is the CEO and co-founder of Whole Foods, and he's also the author of several books that you may not have ever heard about, but you're going to hear about today. Please welcome John Mackey. It's, I think this is my third time having a conversation with you. Thanks for coming back on. Thanks for having me on again, Chef AJ. I cannot wait. So, you know, people may know you from Whole Foods, but I don't know if a lot of people know that you've written books on other subjects like conscious leadership. What made you decide to write about a subject like that? Well, uh, in some ways, conscious leadership is a sequel to conscious capitalism, which was published in 2013. And we had in that book, we had two chapters on conscious leadership. And as the years passed and I spoke on conscious capitalism many times, um, I got so many questions about conscious leadership. People want to know how to operationalize the ideas and make them more realistic and practical in their in their ordinary lives. And so I thought we needed to go into conscious leadership a lot deeper, hence why we wrote conscious leadership. So a lot of people may not be familiar with that term. What is conscious leadership? Well, conscious leadership, you know, I just realized... I get the afternoon sun coming down on me. I'm going to move out of that little light on my head. Okay. Uh, well, conscious leadership means on the surface, it means kind of how it sounds. It's leadership. Conscious means to be more aware of things. So it's leadership done more aware and diving deeper into what it means to be more aware it that we've got nine chapters in the book and that we think sums up the, the qualities and characteristics of being a more aware leader, starting with putting purpose first, leading with love, always act with integrity, um, find win-win-win solutions, think long-term, um, um, constantly revitalize yourself, um, Sounds kind of like Whole Foods. Well, <laughs> I mean, well, I, when I think about how well, it's, it's a it's lot such of the a... ideas are based on my experience at Whole Foods. That's that's what I've known, and so, so yeah, it's, a lot of it is the way we've led Whole Foods for the past forty-two years. Because I just think about my shopping experience. There's different than other stores that like people actually like go out of their way to help you. Like I, I, I can think of, I don't be going to a lot of stores lately, but when I did, like, it would be so hard to find somebody to ask a question to, whereas at Whole Foods, they actually kind of seek you out to help you. Yeah. I mean, pre-COVID, that was our reality. And post-COVID will be our reality again. Now it's mostly, I mean, our, on, our online sales, delivery sales have tripled in the last year. And so many people have shifted over to just having stuff delivered. Uh, so that, I mean, and when they come into the stores, people have to social distance, everybody's masked up. So it's just kind of get your stuff and get out. There's not, not much explore exploration going on, not much linger longer. Our prepared foods sales have plummeted because we, we don't, you know, hot food bars and salad bars. Those have been, they were closed down and now they're opened up in some of our stores on a service only basis for now. Yeah. Wow. Unbelievable. That's 
Hey, at least we're open. A lot of my friends lost their businesses. So yeah. it's, it's been a terrible year. 2020, I'm glad it's in the review mirror because uh, it was a terrible year. And it's hopefully 2021 is going to be a lot better. I hope yeah. so. I think so. And I hope so. I, you know, I did try the delivery once and it was great. It came like within two hours and they did a great job, but there's just something about picking out your own produce that, that you I like. You are a foodie. You're a chef. I'm the same way. I don't know. I've, I've never made a delivery from Whole Foods. I have to confess, but I mean, I do, my office is above one of our flagship stores. So, and I do most of the cooking. So it's easy for me like I'm there right now and I'm going to go after this interview is complete. I'm going to go downstairs, pick up a few things and head out. So it's easy, very convenient for me to shop because I'm right there. I, I'm, my office is above the store. Right. Yeah. But I do. I just, I mean, they did a great job with the beans and the corn and all the, you know, all the staples, but there's something about picking your own, which rainbow chard you want, you know? I totally agree. Yeah. Same way. <laughs> So in the book, you talk about a period of crisis that led to a realization or awakening about your approach to leadership. Can you talk a little bit about that period? Yeah, that's how the book starts out. We tell the story that until the book came out was not in the public domain because, and I, I changed the names of the people involved. Uh, but back in the year 2000, the late 2000 and going to 2001, um, my wife and I had moved to Boulder, Colorado. It's, it's a complicated story, but I'm gonna make a short version of it. Long and short of it is that was back when the internet, the first internet boom was taking place, the dot-com boom. And Whole Foods, I got excited about it just like many other people, sort of like, I guess, the people looking for gold in California must have felt. It was like, this is such a transformative technology we take for granted today. But, but 20 years ago, it was new and it was, cool and exciting and we knew it was going to be transformative so we moved because we bought a vitamin company uh based in boulder called amrion and they were mail order companies so that was going to form one of the basis for the for the wholepeople.com uh, website whole foods whole people whole planet as long as our slogan still is in many ways and anyway um the timing wasn't great the business never it was very Stuff you can buy off the shelf today for, you know, very little money back then cost millions of dollars to develop from scratch, basically. So it was very expensive. The only people buying things online back then were, were kind of the, uh, the, t the, the, t the, t the technorati, the people that were into technology, mostly a lot of engineer ge engineering geeks, and, and they, they weren't that interested in what we were selling. And they were looking for free stuff. Anyway, the business didn't succeed. We sold it off. And uh, uh, I had gone to Boulder for a year and I, I put one of my lieutenants in charge of Whole Foods basically while I was gone. And, but when it failed, I came back and he was pretty unhappy about that. And he, he liked being in charge. And, and then I had a couple of board members who were unhappy with the fact that the internet company had failed, whole people had failed. So I was very vulnerable and there was a coup. A couple of directors teamed up with a senior executive and tried to force me out. And, um, but it was, a, it, was a, it was actually a very good thing in retrospect. It was a real wake up call for me. I was touring one of our stores. We, we had to meet with the board in Miami, uh, myself and the other executives one-on-one -on -one to talk about what was going on. So before my meeting, I was 
touring our stores down in the South Florida in Fort Lauderdale and Miami and the other stores we had available and open. And I just had a sort of a spiritual experience. I just got, I was just overwhelmed by the love that I felt from the team members and to the team members and to our customers. I'm in this beautiful, these beautiful stores, people are happy. And I realized, you know, this is really the purpose of my life. And I don't want to lose this. This is really what it's all about for me. And uh, it, so it was a real wake up. And I realized that I was going to have to change who I was. I was going to have to evolve as a leader. I was going to become more conscious. And I got into a real high love space. And then when I went in to talk to the board, I was still there and uh, very calm, very relaxed, very much in my heart, very centered and clear. And uh, so the coup failed, basically. And that senior executive left, the board members left, and uh, I did some new promotions, but mostly I was determined to grow as a human being. I was going to be more conscious, more loving, higher integrity. I was going to do the right thing, fulfill Hopefit's higher purpose, take care of our stakeholders, and just be a more conscious, better leader. What happened to the, the people that tried to force you out? Are, are you still friends? They, all, they, left, they left. Yeah. They, they left. We couldn't, they left instead of me basically. Well, that would have been pretty awkward if they had stayed, don't you think? <laughs> That's right. Exactly. I wasn't, I wasn't willing to have that happen. They, they were, from my, as far as I'm concerned, they betrayed me yeah. and betrayed my trust. That the one executive been... I'd, I'd been close friends with had promoted him up and I'd, I'd known him for 16. He'd been in the company 16 years. So I felt a deep sense of betrayal for me. Yeah, that must have been tough. Oh, I'm so sorry. We did, you know, we did heal. Uh, and uh, I wouldn't say we're close friends, but we, we, we communicate from time to time and we get along pretty well. Wow. I'm sorry about that. That, that, I, I mean, I've had, you know, those kind of betrayals happen in my personal life, but professionally that must've been very difficult. So you talk about a foundational component of leading consciously is doing so with purpose. And part of your own personal story is one in which you took a lot of risk and started cultivating a sense of purpose at, at a relatively young age. And you mentioned that the process of discovering one's purpose can be a bit fumbling or perhaps half conscious exploration. This is it can be a living thing. So what's some advice that you might be able to give to people who haven't pinpointed their purpose yet? Great enemy of finding your purpose is fear. Because fear is an element that we all have to master and grow or grow beyond. And, it, and it's a journey. It's not like you just, well, maybe some people just one day move past it. But generally, we have to work at it for for many years and we and we make some progress and we take some steps backward. But what are people afraid of? Um, they're afraid that they're gonna fail. They, they're afraid that, that they're not gonna be loved. They're afraid that um, they're gonna be foolish. They're afraid that uh, uh, of making a mistake and going down the wrong path. And so people, because the key to finding your purpose is ultimately, it's, it's the things that you're most passionate about, the things that you care about. If, if you pursue those things, it's been my experience and experience of many people I know that those will lead you to discovering your higher purpose. In my own life, let me just give you, tell the, the brief story about myself. So I moved into a vegetarian co-op when I was about 22 or 23 years old. I was a student at the University of Texas. And uh, I didn't move into that co-op 
until I had had this experience at UT where I, I was on track to get a degree in philosophy. And, uh, but I had like every course, you had like every degree plan, you have to take certain required courses. And I really just wanted, I wasn't interested in certain things. I was only interested in what I was interested in. So I ended up having this big internal ballot because I'm taking this course. I don't like the professor. I don't like the course uh, work. I don't like the books. So I'm having this internal battle of dropping this course. And I knew if I did that, I wasn't going to graduate. And uh, so part of me just thought I was going to, I was afraid. That would disappoint my parents. What was I going to do next? I, I, it, was, it was very scary. I was peer pressure. I had to overcome my friends saying, don't do that. That's stupid. You're a fool for doing that. My parents cutting me off financially. Uh, lots of, lots of fear. But it's what I was, I just didn't want to do it. So I remember one day in dramatic fashion, trying to read this book for this course. And I said, I'm not going to read this. Uh, I'll censor my language here. I'm not going to read this book. And I threw it, stood up, threw it on the ground and said, I'm never going to read another book the rest of my life. I don't want to read. I'm never going to take another course. I don't want to take. And I just basically, the next day I dropped that course and I never, I, I never don't read books. I'm not interested in. I don't, I only, I started auditing classes at the university of Texas. I took classes I was interested in. I have like 120 hours of electives, very close to a 4.0 average, no degree, but a good education. So once I'd done that, and resisted my parents and, and, and the fear of being cut off financially and the fear of rejection and the fear of parental anger and peer pressure, I felt really liberated. It's like, okay, I took control of my life. I'm going to do what I want to do. And I got, I was interested at that time, this is in the uh, middle seventies. I was interested in all things counterculture, all things counterculture. I was interested in, in, in alternative spirituality, I was interested in alternative eating. I was interested in, you know, I, I was very progressive in most of my views at the very, very early age. So I moved in this vegetarian co-op. So I'm tying that back together. I moved to this vegetarian co-op. Now I wasn't a vegetarian at that time, but I just moved into it because I thought, you know what? I'll bet the coolest people live in a vegetarian co-op. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, and they did. I, I The people that were living in that co-op were amazing and they, I learned so much. I, my food consciousness awakened in that vegetarian co-op. My life completely changed when I moved to that vegetarian co-op. I began to read books about natural foods, organic foods. It was, I, be, I learned how to cook. I, I, I'd never cooked anything in my life before and I became a pretty good cook. I still have a passion for cooking to this day. Uh, and I became the food buyer for the co-op. And then I went to work for a small natural food store and fell in love with retailing. And I remember coming home one night, talking to my girlfriend who I met at the co-op, Renee. And at that time she was 19 and I was 23. And I said, Renee, what do you think if we open up our own store? I mean, it doesn't seem that hard. I, could, I think we could do it. And she got very excited about it. And uh, I often wondered how different my life might've been if she'd said, that's a stupid idea. We don't have the money. We don't know what we're doing. I don't want to do that. You can do it if you want, but I think you're making a big mistake. Would I've done it anyway? I don't know. But Renee was very enthusiastic and we opened up our first store called Safer Way back in 1978. 
not it's about half a mile from where I'm sitting right now here in Austin because I've had four iterations of that original small store. And that store was interesting because it was vegetarian. We had a vegetarian, it was, it was very pure too. We were very idealistic, so we weren't selling any, I, I'd never even heard the term vegan back then, but we weren't selling um, uh, any, any we we're selling dairy and eggs, but we weren't selling, so it was lacto-ovo, vegetarian. We had a vegetarian cafe on the second floor, vegetarian store, and then I, Renee and I actually moved out of the co-op and we moved in to save money and we moved into the third floor of this old house. That, that and uh, it was an office in the day and a futon folded out at night and that was where we slept. So we literally lived in the store. But I had found my path in life. I was all about natural organic foods, healthy eating, and I started to learn about business and I had found my purpose in life. And I would I have found it if I'd stayed on the philosophy track at the University of Texas? I don't know, maybe, but maybe not. You know, I mean, because most people play it safe. Most people are afraid and they, and they look for security. And I was fortunate to, at an early age, come to the realization, maybe because I studied philosophy, that life was very short. It's too short to not follow your heart. It's too short not to do the things that you most care about. So once I did that, once I launched that, then the rest of my life has, has unfolded. In, in alignment with that purpose that I discovered at a pretty young age. That's wonderful. I agree with that. I was writing that down. Life is too short not to follow your heart. So what's that's what young people can find, in my opinion, if they have the courage to follow their heart, the things that they care most deeply about and begin to pursue them, it, it, could, it won't be a straight journey. It could have a lot of twists and turns in it. You might end up doing something you hadn't anticipated doing but it's a discovery process, but you won't discover it. You won't get on the path to finding your purpose unless you're willing to, because there's the inner, I believe in the inner voice. I believe in the inner guidance. I, you know, I, I do believe in it, that there's deeper purpose and meaning in life. In fact, oftentimes use a metaphor that it's like purpose, purpose is everywhere. It's like, it's like, even as we're talking, there's all these radio play stations that are playing music and have talk radio and whatnot. But we're just not tuned into it. But if we had a radio receiver, we could we could tune into it. We could hear different kinds of music. We could hear different kinds of talk shows. It's all there available to us. Similarly, purpose is not. It's it's there. It's in the universe, and it's in our. It's but it's mostly in our own inner being, and we discover it if we are willing to follow our passions because in those passions lies the deeper depth of who we are as a human being and probably why we exist today why we're living it's there to be discovered i'm wondering what what's renee doing these days i'll tell you renee lasted five years at safer way in whole foods and she took a she did take a hiatus for a couple of years we broke up after three years of doing it. It was a lot of stress living together, doing it startup. And she broke, broke, broke away from me. We got together a couple of years later and stayed together a couple more years. And then she told me, she said, this isn't my path. This is your path. And I got caught up in your enthusiasm and your excitement, but it's really not what I want to do with my life. So we, we, we broke up and, uh, we're still friends. She lives in Taos, New Mexico. She owns a, um, she married and had a child, a grown up adult. She's probably a grandmother now. 
Uh, and she uh, has her own sort of fabric and yarn store in Taos, New Mexico called The Common Thread. She, she made a lot of money from her whole food stock though. <laughs> that was a happy ending for her. She, did, she only invested like $2,500 at the beginning, but that became worth a lot of money uh, over the years. Wow, that's great. How do your parents feel about your success now? My, parent, my mother died in 1987 and my dad in 2004. On my mother's deathbed in 1987, last time I ever saw her in my life, she begged me to stop doing Whole Foods marketing and go back to school and make something of myself. She told me, she said, John, I cannot believe you do not, you are a grocer and you know, you have a good mind. You could do so much more in life. Why do you want to be a grocer? You could be a doctor, you could be a lawyer, and you choose to be a grocer. It makes no sense to me. I want you to promise your mother that you will go back and get your college degree. Oh <laughs> and you know, at, at, at my age today, it's one of my regrets in life that I didn't tell a little white lie to my mother the last time I ever saw her and said, Mom, of course I'm gonna go back and finish school. You just, re you just relax, everything's gonna be fine. Instead I said, Mom, I'm never gonna go back to school. I'm doing Whole Foods. This is, this is the purpose of my life. This is what gives me happiness and joy and you should be happy for me. I'm not wasting my life, I'm doing what I wanna do. Now the company was pretty small back in, in 1987 when she passed, but it was still, we had about, 1987 where we had, we had about six stores back in 1987. Um, but, so it's a minor regret. Uh, my mom, in other words, died, not very proud of me. My father made it to 2004 and he, he and I were very close. He mentored me in the early days of Whole Foods and he was very proud. So uh, at least one of my parents was glad I did it. Oh, well, you can always go back to school. It's never too late if that's what you wanna do. I got an honorary PhD from doing a commencement speech at Bentley University several years ago. So I've got a PhD theoretically. <laughs> that's great, that's great. Yeah, that's just so interesting, uh, you know, because I'm sure you're familiar with John Robbins' story. And it's just, it's just interesting about parents, how they don't always- uh, Yeah, sure, the ice, Baskin and Robbins, the ice cream uh, area. We, John, we're the same generation and uh, I mean, part of it was rejection or, or of, of, the, of the materialism that my parents' generation who came out of the depression in World War II and just wanted safety and security and a, a good life and a safe place to raise their kids. And, you know, every generation is different from the generations that come before them. And that's one reason humanity keeps advancing and evolving. Yep. You know, you talk about in the book how to rally others to help channel a purpose inside an organization. So for people that might be leading big companies, how do you recommend they do that when their employee bases may be sizable or distributed over many different locations? How do you spread purpose? Is that your question? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. First of all, you have to embody it yourself because people pay a lot more attention. If you're the leader, people pay a lot more attention to what you do and how you show up in the world than they do in terms of what you say. So you can't, you have to embody it. You have to, you have to believe the purpose. You have to live the purpose. And when I became a vegan now 17 and a half years ago, um, that gave a lot more credibility actually to my own commitment to this, to this lifestyle. And although most whole food people aren't plant-based, they, they respected my decision and showed that it meant I was very serious about, 
about this lifestyle and what I believe. Uh, so you have to embody it. And secondly, you have to you have to teach it. You have to talk about purpose all the time. I'm always talking about Whole Foods as higher purpose. I'm always talking about our core values. I'm always showing how what we're doing connects back to the purpose and our core values. And um, uh, and then you have to at a big company like Whole Foods. You know, we're really big now. We've got 100,000 people working for the company and doing 20 billion in sales. So we have to. Um, we have to institutionalize it. So it's part of the orientation process. And now we have a, something that we started in the last year, or two years ago now, called Cultural Champions, where we actually get our people certified. It's not, it's, it's not mandatory, it's voluntary to get certified. And it, we take them through a course in our purpose and what it means. We take them through our core values and what they mean, it's the history, how these things originated, and also our leadership principles, because Whole Foods has one higher purpose, six core values, and 17 leader, leadership principles. And they have, they, have to, they have to take the course online, they have to get tested in it, and then they become certified. And we have the cultural champions meet uh, in, in the stores and in the regions. And then once a year, we bring representatives together to meet with our executive team, including myself, to talk about how we can make our company better in terms of its higher purpose and core values and leadership principles. So you have to institutionalize it. And if you do, because we're getting, I mean, every year we get 20,000 new people leave, people quit, some people retire, we're getting 20,000 new people every year that you have to bring into the culture. So you can't take it for granted. You have to work at it all the time. That's incredible. I didn't realize you had that many employees. And from what I've read, the employee satisfaction is very big in your company. It has been historically, I'd have to say 2020, uh, I mean... I always like to say that we made a lot of deposits in the Goodwill Bank with our team members for many, many, many years, but we've been making withdrawals in 2020 because of COVID. I mean, team members in the stores, they, they're masked up, they're working eight hours a day with mask on, they're having to socially distance, and our company is a huggy culture. People aren't hugging each other. People aren't, you know, they're not, they're not connecting. Every, if you, everybody you look at, you think they might have the plague, you're, uh, you're, you're not. The, the, so it's been hard. It, it's been a hard year for, for Whole Foods. It's been a hard year for America and it's been a hard year for the world. So we're, we're social beings who need to be, we need to be touchy-feely and our culture depends on that. And uh, so it's been a, almost a full year now. It's not that long that we've been sort of in this fear place. And it uh, uh, looks like we got several more months to go. Well, speaking of being a huggy culture, you dedicate an entire chapter in your book about love. How does that work in a business book? Let me ask you a question. So, and it's 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 not a leading question, but it'll 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 frame up how I'll answer you. Why do you think that doesn't maybe? Why would you be surprised at being a business book? Well, because a lot of people think of business as just wanting to make money, cutthroat, not really caring about other people, what they think, their feelings. Exactly. I mean, Perfect lead-in. Thank you. That is how most people see business. And that's the narrative of business. It's pretty, it's not, it's pretty inaccurate. I'm not, I mean, it's, uh, it, it, it's, it's not fully inaccurate because there's certain companies are that way and lots of individuals are that way. But the business is not primarily about making money. 
That's that's part of the myth, part of the narrative. Business is primarily about creating value for other people, creating value for customers primarily. And if you're creating an organization, it needs to be an organization that's tied together through relation. The relationships are what tie it together, and relationships can only be tied together through love. So. It is true that love is not as common in corporations as it should be. And that's partly because the metaphors that we used to think about business are hyper-competitive metaphors, war metaphors. You said it, cutthroat. I mean, think about cutthroat. Cutthroat is murder. You're cutting somebody's throat, right? It's, it's, a, it's a very harsh metaphor. They're war metaphors. They're Darwinian metaphors of survival of the fittest. And they're hyper-competitive sports metaphors. And if you're at war with somebody, love is something you check at the door. Check, you know, we don't have any time for love here because we're at war. But business is really not about war. I mean, there's competitive element to it, but it's primarily about, again, creating value for other people. That's how, and, if you're, and you can't do that. I would say the retailing business is pretty simple if you think about it. Management's job at Whole Foods is to hire the very best people we can find and train them as well as we can and the team member's job is to, and, and management's job is to make the team members happy. Because the team members are happy, they're gonna make the customers happy. And if the customers are happy, then the business is gonna flourish. The customers will become your best, through word of mouth, your best advocate for the business. Uh, and the business will flourish and that'll be good for all the, the, the investors and all the stakeholders flourish along with it. So love is instrumental of that love is 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 mis is not it's not understood correctly but it's also a conscious leader has to manifest love love is just if you're not to the degree that you are not expressing love and manifesting it to that degree you're not conscious because i think love is the most love is the purpose of life At the end of the day when we get to the end of our lives when we're sitting on a deathbed like my mother was with me you're probably not, well, she was kind of worried about her children because she loved me and she wanted me, she could, she was going to die and she was worried my life was going to turn out to be a failure. So through her love for me, she was trying to help me. But at the end of the day, we probably don't get to the end of our lives and ask or think to ourselves, I wish I'd worked harder. I wish I'd made more money. I wish I'd had a bigger house. Now we get to the end of our lives and we think about our relationships my mother was thinking about her relationship with me and with her, all her children and with her husband and with all, their, all of her friends and family. I'll be thinking about, you know, the people that I care about. I mean, because that's what really matters the most in life. The people that we love, the relationships that we have, the things that we love, the things that we care about. Um, and uh, why should that not be in our corporations? It needs to be. It needs to be fully expressed, not hidden away. It needs to, Love needs to come out of the corporate closet and it needs to not be cutthroat. It needs to be more caring, more loving. Because if we think business is fundamentally about money and greedy and selfish, then it seems that business is sort of on the dark side, sort of evil. And that's how many people see business. Many people, how they see capitalism is this greedy, selfish, exploitative, cutthroat world. And uh, Business won't survive if that's the way people see it. And, it'll, we'll, and neither will capitalism, which has been the great creator of prosperity around the world. If you know about, if you know your history and you know what the world was like a couple hundred years ago, it's been capitalism. It's been economic freedom and innovation that's lifted humanity out of poverty 
and is continuing to lift people out of poverty. Love, 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 love is the most important thing. Yeah, well, you know, I think I think many people have worked for companies that where that's not a, a tenant, you know, it's not a value. And so that's, that's why I wrote a book. It should yeah. be. Yeah. <laughs> well, wait, you know, I, well, there's a great question that just came by very quick uh, from Mandy, who says, what can an employee do at their work if their leader is not conscious? Should I buy them a copy of your book and leave it on your on their desk? She asks. <laughs> you can't. Here's the thing. You can't make someone else conscious. It's all this book is written to help individuals become more conscious themselves. And it's kind of um I'm not saying that whoever who sent that Mandy's saying this, but there's a tendency to think the problems lie outside of ourselves. If only my boss was more conscious. The thing to do is to become more conscious yourself, more loving, more purposeful, higher integrity, looking to find win-win solutions. We impact everybody around us. It's like a stone that we throw in the water and has these ripples that go out from us. And we don't, we don't see the impact that we have on other people, but we do. We're in relationships and, and how we show up, if we show up in a loving, caring, conscious way, we have a very positive impact. So my, my message to Mandy is she needs to become as conscious and as awake and as loving as she possibly can. And she will probably influence her boss, her team leader. And she will certainly, for the good, and she will certainly influence other people around her. So she can't make someone else learn and grow. But you know what? If she's in a job and she doesn't, she's unhappy there, she should ask a question. Maybe is that the right place for her to be working? Yeah, that makes sense. Mandy also wanted to know if conscious leadership helped you personally with your work-life balance. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, chapter eight in the book is to uh, revitalize yourself. So, and we like to say we're whole foods market, not whole life market. So we've never romanticized work, uh, workaholism. And I think it's very important that you have, I don't know if balance is the right word. Um, I, I prefer to think integration is a better word. We need, we need to integrate uh, so that work is play and play is work. We're having fun at work and that we're making sure that we get a chance to get away from work and renew ourselves, get out into nature, make sure we're getting enough sleep, eating a really healthy diet, exercising. So I know we call it work-life balance, but I'd like to think of it as work-life optimization. How do we optimize both? You know, in the love chapter of the book, you talked about three manifestations, generosity, gratitude, and appreciation. So how, how does this work at Whole Foods? Well, I'll talk about those three, but we also had, we also had care, compassion, and forgiveness. We had six, six attributes of it. So you want me to talk about generosity, gratitude, and uh, appreciations? Yeah. You can talk about the, the care, compassion, and what was the third C? Care, compassion, and forgiveness. Oh, forgiveness. The hardest of all the manifestations. Yeah, that's why I forgot it, because it's always been the hardest thing for me. <laughs> Um, so I'll talk about all of them real quickly. So uh, generosity is a misunderstood. It, these are all, love is a many splendored thing. It's, it's a very amazing, it's, it's, it's a virtue and it has so many different aspects to it. And so starting with generosity is one of the manifestations of it. Um, first of all, generosity is not self-sacrifice. And true generosity is an abundance, an overflowing 
of, um, of your own abundance in life. So I have found that generosity is, is, a, is, a, is a manifestation of love that I personally practice a lot. I cultivate it because I believe that when you manifest abundance and you share it, that uh, your own, it's kind of a spiritual truth that everything that you give, do you give to yourself first? Because you give to yourself first, both good and bad things, I might add, because you have to first feel that emotion. You have to feel that it comes from within, within yourself. So your anger, your hatred can come from within yourself too. But generosity, when we're conscious about it, is an overflowing of our own abundance in life. So it's a very good thing to do. It's a very good thing to practice. So you should, you heard that saying, give until it hurts. No, don't give until it hurts. Give what you feel to give. And that like a muscle will grow over time as you exercise it. But get, if you give until you hurt, then you're moving into that self-sacrifice mode where it's, it's no longer help, helpful to you. So let's talk about gratitude. Gratitude in my opinion, gratitude is the key to happiness in life. If you want to be happy in life, practice gratitude. I start my day off with gratitude exercises before. Uh, actually, I do a little spiritual reading, then I do gratitude, and then I do meditation. And so I do gratitude every, every day. And uh, when you do gratitude, you expand your consciousness because you're focused on something outside of yourself. You're, you're, you're seeing the things that make life beautiful and wonderful things that, um, that we're so fortunate that are happening. And it can be anything, the, the beauty around us, the, the, the people that we care about, our good health. It, it, it could be our family, it could be our dog, it could be anything. We can be grateful for almost anything. And when we're being grateful, we are expanding our consciousness. We're making it wider and bigger. Depression is the opposite of gratitude in a way. Because when we're depressed, we're not grateful. We're, we're focused our attention on the things that, that are bringing us down, the things that are bad in life, the things that are sucking us and making us unhappy. So if you want to get out of depression, the best way to get out of depression is to expand. The opposite of depression is expansion, and you do expansion through gratitude. So I do gratitude. Honestly, I do it first thing in the morning. I do it, obviously, at meals. Before I eat, it's good to express a few minutes of gratitude. I think when you're driving along, if you get stuck in traffic, you can spend a minute or so just being and thinking about the things you're grateful about. And it's a really good thing to do before you go to bed. I generally don't do it before I go to bed because when I get into bed, I'm just going to bed. But uh, some people keep a gratitude journal that they do before they go to bed. They think about all the things during the day that they're grateful for and write them down. So gratitude is very important. Um, then let's go to appreciations, which is if you've got nothing else out of my talk today, appreciations of the one thing, you'll, you'll go away with something extremely important. We practice appreciations at Whole Foods because what we found is that that's the gateway drug to, um, that's the gateway drug, so to speak, to, um, to opening love up into corporations and into business. Because when you're giving, we do appreciations, they're voluntary at the end of every one of our meetings. Nobody has to do them. But what happens is that it's impossible to do an authentic appreciation without opening your heart. 
And people know the difference. People know when you're just mouthing something, but you don't really mean it. And when you're genuinely opening your heart and appreciating things about people. So appreciation opens the heart to love. And so it feels good to be appreciated. And somebody that you may not have liked who just gave an authentic appreciation to you, it's very hard to maintain a dislike to them. It's like, wow, I misjudged Tom a lot. If Tom could say that those things about me, then I need to rethink this guy because I've, I've had him all wrong. Um, and similarly, of course, the biggest beneficiary from appreciation is the one doing the appreciations because to genuinely appreciate means opening your heart to love. And uh, I'll tell you at Whole Foods, we had to, appreciations are such a big deal in our leadership team that we had to set rules on them because we used to have appreciations which sometimes go with about 25 people could go on for a couple hours. As people would be in a meeting, we'd have two hours of appreciations. It's like, okay guys, we gotta get some things done too. So then we started limiting it to three. You can only appreciate three people. And then more recently we're saying, you know what? I, we really need to focus on just one person, one person to appreciate, but one or three or whatever. The point is, is that um, appreciations are very, very powerful and it will, that alone will transform an organization to a more loving culture. And I've, I've seen, I've had dozens and dozens and dozens of my friends begin to practice appreciations in their companies. And they all tell me it's completely transformative, transform their organizations. So going a little quicker now, care. I mean, we all have to care about something. It could be our children, it could be our dog, it could be our cat, it could be our goldfish, it's, it could be our significant other in our life, it could be our, our parents, it could be whatever, but it could be our sick friend. We find the expression of love and care and caring is a very human thing to do. And uh, uh, that's why it's good to go out and, you know, tell the Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts to go out and do a couple of good deeds every day. That's a form of caring. Caring is a manifestation of love. It's very important to practice caring daily uh, with careful, thoughtful things. And then compassion. Compassion is that manifestation of love that we know best from Buddhism and also maybe a little bit from Christianity. Compassion is basically understanding that we are all in the same situation in life. Buddha had it right. We're all going to die. We're all going to age. We're all going to suffer. We're all going to experience pain. We're all going to get sick. And uh, since we're all on the same path together, the only right response to every human being is compassion, particularly when they're suffering, particularly when they're afraid or they're in pain or they're, they're hurt or they're emotionally down or depressed. The right response always is compassion. And that is, requires the ability to empathize and connect with another human being. And I'm not talking about pity, which is a different kind of emotion. I'm talking about compassion, which means to be able to empathize at a deep level and to feel that person's pain and do what you can to ameliorate or alleviate that pain. And the final thing about I'm going to talk about on love is forgiveness. And in some ways, forgiveness is the most important because it's the hardest it's very hard for most people to actually forgive this. I know this from my own experience, but other people tell me that they think forgiving means that you condone the actions that someone, that someone might've wronged you, you condone the actions. And it means that you're letting go of your own moral conscious. And that's not what it means. Forgiveness means 
it's kind of like when you hold on to a grievance, it's a little bit like you're drinking the poison that you want to give to the other person. You're actually poisoning your own soul by holding on to that grievance. You can let the grievance go through forgiveness. It doesn't mean you forget. It doesn't mean you forget what happened. It doesn't mean that you haven't learned the lesson. It just means that you also realize, and it doesn't mean you're not uh, cautious. It doesn't mean you have to necessarily trust the other person at a deep level. Again, trust is earned after all. It just means we're gonna let that poison that's in our soul go. And, and people ask, how do I do that? This, I was so wronged here. I'm so angry. How do I let it go? And the answer is the best metaphor is like the wave against the rocks. You practice forgiveness every single day. You do a slight, you just do a little affirmation about it. You just affirm, I forgive you. I forgive you. And the water wears away those rocks and it may take a while, but if you practice the affirmation and you visualize it, you will come to full forgiveness and you will let it go. And then the poison will no longer be in your being. So love is important. And uh, that's why I've talked about it here for maybe 10 or 15 minutes. It is so very important in life and in leadership. How do you handle negativity being, you know, a public leader? Because I'm sure you know that people sometimes say unkind things about you or the store, even people well, that I are watching. unkind things every day. I, <laughs> I get misquoted. The media misrepresents what I say. Uh, it takes things out of context. I mean, it's happening right now with, because um, I've, I've, I've made arguments that the best way to do healthcare is to, to get people as healthy as possible. So we don't need to take drugs and we don't need surgeries. And, and uh, um, you know, I do think a whole foods plant-based diet, eating real non-processed foods is the key to supercharging our immune systems and uh, preventing ourselves from getting sick or if we get sick to make a very quick recovery. And uh, to me, this, I mean, America 71% overweight and 42.5% obese. And we're in such massive cultural denial. We are addicted to fat, sugar, and salt. We're, de we're de very addicted to calorie-dense foods due to our evolutionary heritage. So I'm being attacked viciously for this. And a lot of, I mean, uh, Amazon tracks threat levels uh, of all their leaders. And I got a report yesterday that my, the level of threats coming up on the social media against me is very high right now. Talk, people talking about that guy needs to be guillotined. Somebody needs to take that guy out in a shooting. Uh, and so, yes, the answer is, how do I deal with it? The answer is, I used to not deal with it very well, um, but I deal with it a lot better today. And the trick is just to stay conscious, to stay in your heart, to not get triggered, to not go to the fear space, to stay in the love space, to understand when somebody is attacking you, they're afraid of something. There's something that they're scared of and uh, that they're not, they're not angry. Generally, you're never angry for the reason you think. You're angry for a projection. You're angry for something that you imagine. Uh, not always, sometimes they legitimately can be angry, but um, many times it's just a figment of our, our thoughts and our imaginations. Um, in any case, um, we have, to, we have to deal with that by staying conscious. And, and we have a, you always have a choice, AJ, before, Chef AJ, before you react to real, you can, you can stay centered. You don't have to react to what's going on. You stay in your heart, you stay conscious, you stay in the present moment. 
and you don't let that trigger. I, I sometimes play a game and I, you know, it asked me about that Joe Rogan podcast and Joe was definitely trying to trigger me and he was triggered. And uh, I just said, okay, I'm playing a game with you, Joe. If you trigger me, you win. And I don't get triggered. If I stay conscious and in my heart, I win. And so I didn't get triggered. And uh, I think that's just the best way to show up almost all the time. Stay centered and clear and calm. You know what? And if you do get triggered, it's okay. And the next moment you can get conscious again and you can choose differently. You can choose again. We may all make mistakes. Just stop it right then and go back. You can reverse it. When you're on the wrong path, don't keep going down it. Turn around and go back to the right path, which is being centered and clear and in your heart. Wow. Well, teach me how to do it because I'm, I'm, I'm small I just when I go on social media boy I just I just I don't, don't go, go anywhere have you did you see the uh, social uh yes social dilemma well, yes don't, and, don't, and, and don't I'm on social media I don't anymore I really don't except for this show which I do on YouTube and okay. it's to Facebook don't read the comments I, I don't I mean well I'm actually reading the comments here and I'm feeling bad for you because people are not being kind some of them some of them are. that's okay that's okay. People are, you know what people, if when people are, are saying those kinds of things, think how much anger and fear they have. It's, it's, you know, they deserve compassion because when you're, when you're reacting like that and saying such hateful things, you're not in a good place in your own mind and life and heart. You're, you're in a lot of pain. So the right response is really compassion, compassion to that type of suffering and to do what you can to help ameliorate it. I, I don't I don't deliberately go out of my way to trigger people any longer. When I was younger, go back 20 years ago, I liked being provocative. Now I just want to tell my truth and do it in a calm, centered, clear way. And hopefully nobody will get angry with me. But if they do, then I'll just still try to stay calm and clear and speak my truth and show compassion. Wow. Well, that's that's wonderful. Karen wants to know if your mission, purpose, and business interests changed as you've gotten older. Purpose, purpose evolves. It evolves, or you could say it deepens. Um, so, I mean, the original higher purpose of Whole Foods when we got started was just, you know, we didn't have it articulated. It wasn't explicit, but it was tacit. And I would say it was three things. One is we wanted to sell healthy, natural, and organic foods to people. We wanted to earn a living for ourselves. And we wanted to have fun. Guess what? All three of those are still there at the core of Whole Foods Market, it, but it's a lot deeper now. It's a lot more complex. We have a, a philosophy of stakeholder theory that we're trying to do the right thing through our foundations, the whole Planet Foundation, which is working to end poverty, the whole Kids Foundation, which is helping work with schools and children to improve nutrition. Uh, we, we're doing many, many amazing things and that all reflect that purpose. So my purpose has changed and evolved, but it's the, the root of it is still there. It's about helping transform the world through healthy eating and healthy living. That's my own higher purpose in life. And as I've grown and learned, I'm having a bigger impact than I used to have. I'm having a bigger impact today than I used to have. And I hope you know, through healthy living and healthy diet, uh, assuming none of those threats come true, um, I will um, hopefully live a long time and be able to have a bigger impact over the next 20 or 30 years. I hope so. Nice. Well, you talked in your book about that one of the, that a leader has to have like 
think about the future and purpose for the future. Has what, what you thought about 40 years ago and what you think about now, are, are many of those things the same or, because you mentioned purpose evolving. So I'm just curious which you've, you've taken with you over the last 40 years. I will be leaving Whole Foods Market in the next couple of years. And uh, I do have some other things I'm excited about, but I'm not gonna talk about them on the show. I'm not ready to come public with them at this point, but um, no, I'm continuing to learn and grow and evolve. I mean, our last chapter in the book is continuously learn and grow. And I think we should be learning and growing from the day we're born to the day we die. That we should die with unfinished projects, things that we are working on that, that are important, that we care about, that we're passionate about, that will help other people. And I love to just continue to learn and grow. I just think it's so deeply fulfilling. I'm, 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 I, it's what gets, it's what gets me up in the morning to, to, to learn and grow, explore, to share love, to try to do, you know, Buckminster Fuller said once, and it stuck with me for many years and it's inspired me. And I'm paraphrasing it a little bit, but he said that kind of the purpose of his life is to, is to discover how much good can one individual do in their lives. That's a pretty good higher purpose for anybody. How much good can you do? And you know what? I want to know how much good I can do before I go. And uh, uh, that makes me happy. That fulfills me. So I've had a special manifestation of it, primarily about healthy, health, whole foods and healthy, healthy eating and healthy lifestyle. And, but I have new ways to express that, that, will, that whole foods will not contain in the future, that I'll be doing other things that I'm excited about. Well, great. You know, we'll I, find I, out about it in the next couple of years. All right. Well, you'll come back and we'll, we'll, we'll find out what you're up to. I can't wait. Yeah. I love when you say, talk about not just win-win, but win-win-wins. What's a win-win-win? So a win-win would mean it's good for you, it's good for me. By the way, that in and of itself is completely revolutionary because most people think win-lose. Most people think uh, the other person, if, if the other person's winning, then you must be losing. We tend to have a zero-sum mentality in life, which is why most people don't understand about business and capitalism, which is fundamentally about all the stakeholders exchanging winning. But... Um, Win-win means you win, I win. Win-win means you win, I win, and the larger society wins. The larger, however we want to define that. Maybe that means our family. Maybe that means our stakeholders that a company like Whole Foods Market, they're all winning simultaneously. Maybe it means our country, if we're nationalistic. Maybe it means all the animals, if we're animal-oriented. And I'm sure many people listening to the show are. And maybe it means the whole planet flourishing, the whole environment flourishing. How do we win, win, win is good for me, good for you, good for all of us. That third win is very important because you know what? You could have a win, win where you, you hire a contract killer to kill your, your spouse. That'd be a win for the contract killer and a win for you. But obviously that's not a win, win, win. That's a, that'd be a, that'd be murder, right? That's not a win-win-win. Win-win-win. Good for you. Good for me. Good for all of us. And you know what? That's almost a complete ethical framework. If people began to think that way, and every time they were interacting, every time they had to make a decision, if they asked this question, "Is this a win-win-win?" If you start thinking that way, I promise you, your life will transform itself. 
That's a completely transformative way to think because we don't naturally think that way. And if we do, we start giving our minds permission to come up with creative solutions to problems where everybody's simultaneously winning. How did you get so passionate about conscious capitalism, conscious leadership, and what can we do to embrace some of those things in our life? Not, not all of us work in business or own businesses. Well, Conscious Leadership is a book anybody could read because, we're, hey, you know what? We're all leaders. Everybody listening to this is a leader because at the very least, you have to lead yourself. And it's really a personal growth book. It's about every chapter has um, exercises you can do to find your purpose, to be more purposeful, to, to find more love in your life, how to act with integrity. We didn't talk about that, but integrity is pretty rare. I mean, those of you that have had small children know children learn how to lie almost as soon as they learn how to talk. Learning how to be truth teller is something we usually have to work at because we tend to exaggerate, we tend to embellish, we tend to tell little white lies, we tend to, um, you know, most people are not fundamentally very truth, not very truthful. Also, pe most people aren't very authentic. Most people pretend to be somebody they're not because they're afraid if they show up as who they really are, nobody will like them. So people act, oftentimes act in a way that's not their authentic self. And also times people are not always trustworthy. And so there are all these different aspects to integrity, like there are different aspects to love that we need to practice. So everybody can practice the, the, being a leader. And you know what, when you can lead yourself well, then you're really set to lead other people. How can you lead other people before you can even lead yourself? <laughs> so it starts with you. And in terms of conscious capitalism, I mean, I don't have a business background. I mean, that sounds weird to say, but I study philosophy. I never, I never took a business class in college at all. I, I didn't know what the heck I was doing. Renee and I started, my resume is something like, you know, dishwasher, busboy, uh, uh, boys camp counselor, uh, ice cream scooper at Astro World, uh, and uh, clerk at Good Food Store. That's about the jobs I had and then whole CEO of Whole Foods Market. So I didn't have any real deep experience. So Renee and I had to figure it out as we went along. And then we attracted people. We both were passionate. We had a lot of sense of purpose. And we attracted our sense of purpose to attracted other people to it. Purpose is magnetic. It's charismatic. It draws people to it because people hunger for purpose. I always say, if you give people two things in a business or in an organization, you will get their loyalty for a long time, maybe the rest of their lives. First of all, people hunger for purpose. We can't live without purpose. And so we're drawn to purposeful people. We're drawn to organizations that exude purpose because we want to be part of it. And secondly, we crave love. Everybody wants to be loved. Everybody wants to be cared about. Everybody wants to feel that their, their life is making a difference, that's, that other people care about us. If you give people purpose and love, well, that's the key to it all, right? Those two things are really, really magnetic and create a longevity and loyalty. So anyway, we're doing Whole Foods Market. We don't know what we're doing, but we, we make a lot of mistakes. My dad helps me. He mentors me. I get other people in there more experienced. We learn, we make mistakes, but we learn and grow. And Whole Foods climbs a wall of mistakes to become the successful corporation that it, that it is today. 
And about 12 years ago, I met Raj Sisodia because he was the author of a book called Firms of Endearment. And Firms of Endearment were about 30 corporations that were loved by all of their stakeholders. Their customers loved them, their employees loved them, their suppliers loved them, their investors loved them, and their communities loved them. And Whole Foods Market was one of those 30 countries that he profiled. And the thing that was such a wake up call for me in the book was the other 29 companies because I thought Whole Foods Market was, the, was this weird outlier, this complete aberration. I had no idea there were other corporations like Whole Foods out there that were purpose driven, were trying to, to trying to organize around love, that were trying to change the world in these positive ways. I just thought we were kind of this weird outlier. And so I met Raj and that's when we started the conscious capitalism movement. He and I co-founded it. And then we got others to come with it. And now we've created a worldwide organization, a nonprofit that's got chapters all over the United States, chapters all over the world. The book is a bestseller. It's been transferred into translated into 13 languages. It's a movement. So what can you do if you're not involved in corporations? I mean, we have a we have two conferences a year. We have local conferences too, but two big ones. One is our CEO summit that's that occurs in Austin, usually in October, but you have to be CEO of a, of a company of a certain size to come to that. But then we have one that's open to the public at large, and that's in the spring every year. This both, the last year, both have been virtual. So they yeah, have been the same, but hopefully, I don't know if the April one will be virtual or not. I don't think that's been decided yet, but there's lots of ways to get involved. Consciouscapitalism.org is our website. So you want more information about that, go on to there. Take a look at our book, Conscious Capitalism. You can get that at Whole Foods or Amazon or Barnes and Noble or probably almost most bookstores, as well as Conscious Leadership. Do you ever think there'll be a day where we could get a store of Whole Foods caliber, but minus the animal products? Yeah, I think you can because the world has changed so much. Remember when I got going was vegetarian, was Safer Way was vegetarian. People often ask, well, why didn't she stay vegetarian? And it was like, well, Safer Way was open for two years. We were very pure. No, we didn't sell sugar and white flour, no alcohol, no, no caffeine. It was a very, very, very pure concept. It did almost no business. We were lucky to survive. We, we started with $45,000 in capital to start the business. We lost half of it in the first year. We were heading towards bankruptcy. And then I learned enough, of, Renee and I learned enough about business after the first year to get it a small profit in the second year. And then we decided we needed to merge with another company, change the product mix and open a bigger store. We, we did that, opened the, one of the first natural supermarket in Austin, changed the name to Whole Foods Market and changed the product mix. So we began to sell meat, began to sell seafood uh, because that's what the market wanted. We began to sell beer and wine, began to sell sugar, coffee. We wanted, we wanted to be a real grocery store, it was natural and organic oriented to meet the market where we found it. One of my biggest business lessons is you have to meet the market where you find it. What's different today is that market for plant-based foods is so different today than it was 40 years ago. And the market of people that want to eat plant-based is so much larger. Look at how many vegan restaurants there are now. There's hundreds, if not thousands of vegan restaurants in America now. How long ago before, I mean, there was hardly any, if you go back 20 years ago, I don't, 
I don't think, I don't know if there are any vegan restaurants or one or two outliers maybe, but not very many. So the world is rapidly changing and evolving. So the answer to your question, there will be someday whole food market type stores that are simply plant-based. Um, where was I? I saw one recently. I was in Berlin about a, about a year ago, a year, a year ago when I was in Berlin and I, I went to a vegan supermarket. It wasn't doing much business, but it was a real thing. You would have been really happy there. Last time I interviewed you, I asked you what the number one selling item was, and I believe you said it was bananas. Is that still the case? No, the number one selling, uh, without a doubt, is water. Bottled water. That always disappoints people. But you can buy that anywhere. I mean... I'm just telling you the facts. You can argue with me about it if you want, but... No, I mean, that's just... I just... Okay, but what about what's the number one food item that's sold? Uh, You know, the number one food item sold by by weight, once you get away from water, is bananas, right? I love your bananas. I don't know why, they're not as good anywhere else. And not even the organic ones, just that there's something about your bananas that are better. Actually, the the earth bananas are Costa Rican bananas and uh, Earth's an amazing place, which has a really good story about it. But the bananas are, the way they're raised, they are just sweeter and fatter and they taste better. And we, you know, I mean, we're very proud of our bananas. We're proud of our sumos that we get in. I mean, Whole Foods has always wanted to have the very best that we could find. The high quality is, our, our first core value is we sell the highest quality natural organic foods available. So part of quality is how it tastes. And um, yeah, so that's not an accident. We work at it. The only thing I'm sad about is that you took away the health starts here. It didn't work. Um, the market didn't didn't take to it. We did. They didn't come to our wellness clubs. They we we tried it. We did about five experiments, and uh, uh, it just didn't work. And uh, but I love the I love the dressings. Oh, you're talking those... about you're talking about the the brand. Yeah, uh, I, I love the dressings that that were under that label with the purple and white label. Those those dressings are still there. There's not called health starts here. They're there, but you can you, you can still get those in the store. They're they're I don't know if they're under three six five brand or Cindy's Kitchens. I think has oh, a. Has I a, did not know that. Yeah. I, I don't unfortunately. You know where I used to live for almost sixty years in L.A. I could walk to two different Whole Foods. Now it's a thirty minute drive to the closest one. Uh-oh. I know. Don't tell me where you shop. I, I always feel sort of betrayed. No, I still shop at Whole Foods, but I don't get there quite as often. Where do you I, live? I live in Indio, California, 21 miles east of Palm Springs, and there's a store in Palm Desert that's about 30-minute drive. Oh, my God. You live east of Palm Springs. I didn't know there was anything east of Palm Springs. I <laughs> yes, thought yeah. Palm Desert was as far east as you no, could go. No, we've got Coachella as farther east and Thermal <laughs> and Mecca and the Salton Sea. There's a lot of things east. Hey, were there any ever any places where you opened up a Whole Foods that surprised you how well it did or that you thought this is going to do really well in this area and it didn't do as well as you thought? Of course. I mean, we always do sales projections for each store and some underperform and some overperform. Um, some, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you a story that um, first store we opened up, the second store we opened in the Midwest, this is back when we opened the store up, 1994 in Ann Arbor, Michigan. We opened our first Midwest store in Chicago in 1993. Our second one was in Ann Arbor. It was, no, maybe it was 1995. And Ann Arbor is a good market. 
and we have two stores in Ann Arbor now. That first store started out and it was horrible. It was doing $75,000 a week. And it was the lowest volume store we'd ever opened to that point. And we thought it was gonna fail. But it's the power of compounding. That store grew at a 25% to 30% clip for 15 consecutive years. And if you do the math, it went from that 75,000 up to an extremely high number. Uh, so it started out by underperforming and then it overperformed. And uh, one thing I've learned about stores is to be patient that a lot of times they grow uh, people and that's happened to every one of the stores we opened in Canada. Every Canadian store we opened started slow, but then it grew and grew and grew and grew as people uh, got used to Whole Foods' service and quality and selection. Uh, and uh, that we'd, we'd win people over over time. We had other stores that we thought would do better uh, out of the gate and they disappointed, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna shame those stores publicly by mentioning them. <laughs> Do you have a favorite Whole Foods? And I don't mean like because you like the employees more. It's just it's like, like, it's like you, if you ask a parent, do you have a favorite yeah. child? Yeah. They'll always tell you no, right? I love all my children equally. That's probably a lie. They probably do have a favorite, but it's good family politics to never say you have a favorite. Yeah, I have favorite stores, but I love all my children equally, AJ. All right. My favorite was Pasadena. I loved the the, the big one, the two-level one in Pasadena. That was my favorite. Yeah, that's our, we call that the Arroyo store. I think it's on Arroyo, off of Arroyo Park. I, I taught, I, you know, I got, I don't know if you know this, I, 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 I want to say I got my start there because I had been teaching cooking for a few years prior, but I used to teach classes at that one. I'd get like almost a hundred people. I loved that store. Lyle was the, was the supervisor at the time. I, I don't, I did not know that, or if I knew it, I forgot it, but uh, that's a good story to hear. Yeah, it, I just have such fond memories of that store. So, well, John, th I appreciate all the work you do. I really do. And I thank you so much. And uh, I know it must not be easy being you because it's not easy being me and I'm nothing compared to you. So, you know, I'm the only, I'm the only, I can only be me because everybody else is taken. <laughs> that is so great. Well, Thanks thank for you. Me on. Oh, my pleasure. And I don't know what it is that you couldn't talk about, but when you can talk about, please let me know because I sure love to find out about it. That was a teaser. You'll hear about it on the grapevine. I can't wait. And uh, yeah, and you did great. I, you know, you did great on Joe, Joe Rogan. He was he was really getting me upset because he just hey, didn't want to listen. Do you know Benet from uh, Candle Seventy Nine? I know the name. I don't think I've met. Okay. Um, well, she could tell you the answer. I was gonna, I was gonna give you a hint, but okay. Uh, well, maybe I'll, maybe I'll find out. So, thank, thank you so much, John, and thanks all of you for watching another episode of Chef AJ Live. Please come back tomorrow. We have another great show. My guest is Colleen Patrick Boudreau. Take care, John.